yes, you know, when you hit 45, 50, you will hit this crossroads in your life. Everything will seem to fall apart. But actually in the clearing, the, the clearing out that those kind of, so they can be sad, those kind of endings bring, there's a possibility for a recreation, for a new chapter, for a new growth. And it is really possible to move into a really new, purposeful, fulfilling chapter in your life. Uh, but that you have to be, you have to kind of be, be prepared for it, or you have to have somebody holding your hand or saying, this isn't going to last forever. This isn't the end of the world. Hello, and welcome to Two Women Chatting. I'm Michelle. And I'm Liz. And so, I'm a bit chilly today. <laughs> That's because you didn't put the radiator on in the shed. I don't know how it works. Yeah, it's a mere button. It's a mere button. No, a bit more than that, if you don't mind me saying. But I'm all right now. Good. I hate when the weather changes and the damp gets in. Do you you think you feel the cold more as you get older? You know, I used to ache so much. Yeah. But now I'm taking collagen. It's not just by chance. Did you? I had it like in my digits, like my knuckles. Your digits. My digits. Well, my digits and my fingers. But I had it in my knuckles a lot. Did yeah. You... Yeah. I used to get that. I used to. My back would hurt if I stood around in the cold. I don't get that now. I might get occasional twinge, but nothing like before. So mm. I'm assuming it's collo. Mm. Well, I I certainly believe in collagen. Mm. As soon as I get lazy and forget to take it, then Did you get lazy. Oh me. I am. Basically, polar opposites. I'm either yeah. I'm either frenetic or, as I've said before, basically horizontal. Binary on or off. <laughs> I don't know that's the way <laughs> to use the word binary, but yes, yeah. I see what yeah. you mean. No, I see yeah. what you mean. Yeah, yeah. But you know what? I could, I, I'd love to feel as great as I did as a teenager, but even more, how about being a queenager? So what's that? Well, you know more about it than me because you are our internet ferret. <laughs> but we both follow Eleanor Mills on yeah. LinkedIn particularly uh, and we're going to invite her on the show in a little bit. But a queen-ager, I love that sort of uplifting of of age and, you know, it's cool to be older and have yeah. all, these, all this wisdom from things that you've learned throughout your life, things that you've coped with um, and just... I don't know, really, it's... It's looking forward rather than backwards, isn't it? It's it's saying queen, as a, I suppose, opposed to princess or whatever. I don't know if that's the case. But, you know, you're you're saying that you're, you're, you're there, you are, but, you know, move forward. So this is how um, it's explained what a queen-ager is. There's, on the Noon website, which Eleanor Mills runs, it's like being a teenager in my own house, but with nice sheets and good tea. <laughs> and I'm having a ball. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> so it's going back to the princess bit as well, I suppose. Yeah, but it is attitudes as well, isn't it? Is, it? Because yeah. I think if you if you act old, if you feel old, if you're if you succumb to you know a stereotype of oh you're over fifty, I love being over fifty. And oh, I thought so I hate do I. it. I like, completely love being over fifty. You just hit the nail on the head. Then it's because you, there's this vision or you know perception that we are old when we get to fifty. We're not old. And well, I'm nearly sixty, so I'm definitely. At 50, you're definitely not old. I was talking to somebody today at an event and they were saying, and bearing in mind she's 60, she said, yeah, well, you know, this other woman I was talking to, she's 65. She's really old. <laughs> she's five years older than you. But there's 60 and there's 60. Yeah. You can be 60 and vivacious and go cold water swimming and grab life by the horns and recreate yourself, find purpose, or you can be 60. 
what would you rather be? 50. <laughs> Good answer. <laughs> no, but it is, it is all, it, it, we, we go on about, that's the whole point of our podcast, isn't it? The whole point of what we do is to try and make the most of our lives. Mm. And it doesn't matter what your age you are, it, it's just being the best at that moment. And sometimes it can be terrifying. Let's face it, we've, there's been times when we've been doing this podcast when it's been a bit overwhelming, shall I say, you know, because the learning curve has been so steep. Like, I'm not going to lie. I mean, I, obviously, I had some voiceover experience before. That's fine. But, gosh, there is so much involved. This, oh. And with my ADHD brain, it doesn't allow things to go. So if I'm creative, I make myself almost ill over it. Yeah, it's been a lot. And I think that's the, the one thing about being our age, or certainly my age, is learning all this stuff. It's brilliant, but I don't know it sort of absorbs things quite as quickly as I used to. I find it harder to 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 remember stuff, to yeah. learn stuff. I can do it. And that's the whole point. You can do it, whether it's techie stuff, yeah. very slow to learn. But I always was slow to learn on stuff like that. Other stuff I can I can do quickly. But it's just perhaps a little more tiring. But also it's because we want to. Yeah. Like I am disinterested in anything I'm not interested in. <laughs> Perfect punctuation and grammar right there. But basically if I'm not interested, I can't be bothered. I noticed but, that. <laughs> but because I am interested in this and I am so passionate about what we do and who we talk to and what we talk about, then I put the hours in. And I have found that that has reactivated stuff in my brain that was maybe a little dormant. It's always been there, but because you're prioritising family, mm -hmm. running a home, um, doing other things with your life, maybe putting yourself lower on the list than perhaps you should, it's really only doing something because you want to do it that you can make it work does that make sense yeah no it does and you and i think doing it with a, a friend or a, a you know a business partner it, it it's easier doing it on your own you have to be really strong oh. if you want to set up a business or, or or do anything you know a hobby that you want to make into a business it's hard on your own because you you just need someone to push you i would definitely not be doing this two years now it's now no. two years since we started up the podcast i can't believe that and there's no way I would have done it without thinking either, oh, I don't want to let Liz down. Yeah, that's exactly the same, isn't B, it? B, yeah. this is fun. Mm. C, it's something to look forward to. And D, I've got brain fog. I can't remember what I was going to say. <laughs> and that's why you're doing it. <laughs> no, but it's, it's that. It is. It, it's good. I wouldn't say to get up in the morning because we get up so early sometimes to do it. But it just, it get, it does, you know, it, it it's given, given me... It sounds, this is going to sound really naff, but, you know, not something to look forward to. That sounds really bad. But it it's it's, it's driving me to Ooh, do yeah. stuff that perhaps I wouldn't have done. I've found new avenues and new ideas and things. Well, I can see you, like, you know, you're so animated when you get into mm -hmm. things that you're enjoying mm -hmm. doing or the subjects that you're, the topics that you're researching. And I can mm -hmm. see that you are, like, fired up and really into it. And you are so <laughs> thrilled that... You know, when we've been walking around today and there was people who said that they listened to the podcast or, you know, they, oh, they've just listened to someone about gut health or um, their cousin in Angola <laughs> listens or wherever. Like, it's so fantastic. Yeah. It feels so good. And always a surprise. <laughs> I think that one was, yeah. I'm genuinely always like, oh, you listen? Yeah. That's amazing. Thank you. Anyway, so. Where were we? Yeah, we kind of went off track. So um, thank you, listeners, for listening to us babble. Um, we're going to bring you somebody who is way more cerebral and got these 
fantastic goals and platform and well, we just love what her, her driving force is is incredible, isn't it? I'd like to say it compliments what we're doing. Yeah, it does. With a fun end. <laughs> She's the professional end, but you know. But no, it's it, uh, it, same. We're all going. We're both well, both all of us are going for the same. What's the word I'm trying to oh, think of? Brain fog. Women. Yeah. Basically, at the, at the end of the day, I think our main ethos is women supporting women and meaning it, not pretending. Because yeah. you know that really when really winds me up. Mm-mm. But women who actually care about other women and women who want to share information and and make life good for us all and to move forward and enjoy our second spring, our next chapter, whatever you want to call it. I think she calls it also second ad- adolescence. I can't say that properly. Oh, second adolescence. Now that appeal that totally appeals to the Labrador in me. <laughs> <laughs> we better get her on. Come and join us, Eleanor Mills. Another champion of midlife women um, is Eleanor Mills, who's our guest today. She's an award-winning editor, journalist, writer and broadcaster. And she's the founder of Noon, which really attracted our interest. It's the online community that empowers women in midlife. Eleanor worked for the Sunday Times for 23 years as editorial director, editor of the Sunday Times magazine and as a columnist and interviewer. And I love this. You've interrogated everyone from Mikhail Gorbachev to Sheryl Sandberg and Theresa May. God, I bet you could tell some stories. Um, Now, working on her first novel and living in London with her two teenage daughters and husband. And I believe that you founded Noon after feeling that you'd lost your purpose, like so many of us in midlife, as our kids leave and our relationships change. And Noon was born out of your desire to help women find a new path through midlife and beyond to change the narrative. Love that. <laughs> Let's change the narrative today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Really nice to meet you both. And yes, I feel really passionately that we need a new story about women and what they're capable of from kind of 45 and beyond. And I really started to feel that while working at the top of the mainstream media where I'd been you know, commissioning all sorts of things. And I began to find it was very difficult to get articles into the paper about my peer group as I began to hit 50. And that also when I commissioned um, interviews, even with really famous um, older actresses or things like that, um, often there would be a real pushback from the picture desk or from other editors saying, oh no, can't we have a picture of her when she was younger? One picture editor famously said to me to brighten up a page. It's like, I'll brighten up the page, love, which meant putting a picture of a pretty girl. And that when they didn't think we were brightening up the page quite so much, they weren't so keen on the content, which I thought was ridiculous because actually, if you look at the, all the demographics and the numbers, women 45 plus are behind over 90% of all household consumer spending decisions. So I realised that there was something very necessary in terms of a recalibration of how the world saw the women in midlife because I felt that the kinds of portraits that I was getting from the mainstream media were not in keeping with the women that I saw about me, didn't reflect what I call queen ages and this massive shift into a new chapter, uh, which we see is so possible um, at kind of 45, 50 plus. And what we found in a big piece of research that we did with Noon with the management consultants Accenture was that 
it was very noticeable that over half of women by the time they hit 50 have been through at least five massive life events, divorce, bereavement, redundancy, elderly parents coming to bits, teenagers with kind of mental health difficulties, their, their own issues, of course, a bit of menopause as well. Um, but that those, what we also saw was that um, that that created a huge amount of wisdom that we talk about the Queen Ages as being kind of forged in fire for having been through all that stuff. But that all those things tended to hit in what we call a midlife collision or um, a midlife maelstrom. They all kind of happened at once, and that would really derail women. And but what we also saw was that after they got through that kind of collision, kind of crisis point, they then moved on to be much happier. Um, and actually, the women who've been through the most then had their lives set up exactly the way they wanted them. And I didn't really see anything in the wider uh, world which was actually talking about that narrative, which was saying, yes, you know, when you hit 45, 50, you will hit this crossroads in your life. Everything will seem to fall apart. But actually, in the clearing, that the clearing out that those kind of so they can be sad those kind of endings bring there's a possibility for a recreation for a new chapter for a new growth and it is really possible to move into a really new purposeful fulfilling chapter in your life uh but that you have to be you have to kind of be be prepared for it or you have to have somebody holding your hand or saying this isn't going to last forever this isn't the end of the world because it feels like the end of the world I and mean, for me I'd been doing a big job for 23 years and suddenly that was over so it was a huge kind of identity crisis and at the same time my children went off to university and I was like well who am I if I'm not this Sunday Times woman and I'm not mum and I think that that there's so many women can relate to that and therefore I really set up noon and I called it noon because in the 100 year life 50 is halfway through um, and it was that sense of that midpoint and I, I called it that to give women a sense that it's okay you know you will hit these pinch points these troublesome moments but there's good life afterwards and if we can kind of hold your hand through that don't give up hope we can find you a new tribe we can support you into what I think can be a really shiny fantastic new chapter but there's nothing about that in the wider cultural narrative and our generation of women is really a pioneering one there haven't been women who have kind of worked all the way through or have the kind of independent kind of mindedness that I think a lot of what I call queen ages have now and we see that in the statistics um, and so we are a new cohort and we need a new story and so I set up noon really because I could see that the mainstream weren't going to do it and I really wanted to but I wanted to create the kind of site that would have helped me when I left the Sunday Times. It takes a strong woman doesn't it to come up with an idea and I think what you've just been describing it's remarkable how much different topics are now discussed in the wider uh, media and broadcasting and for women. We talk about the menopause, we talk about going back to work and all these things. But a lot of it is done with a certain amount of negativity. Oh, isn't the menopause awful? Oh, isn't it awful that we lose our confidence and we feel really crap when our kids leave home? And your hand-holding through what you're doing and the movement that you've started and we totally support is about saying, actually... This is really cool, this midpoint. This is this is a pivot in our lives where we can suddenly grasp joy, we can reinvent, we can be what we want to be and pulling on that muscle memory of, of the wisdom of what we've learned throughout our lives and, and what we bring to the table being negotiators at home and, and mini corporate CEOs mm -hmm. of our family and the buying power 
And, you know, we're bringing so much more into the economy. We can't lose this valuable, valuable source of employment and um, just strength. So, I mean, Liz and I, we, we love what you've been doing. We've been following it for some time. Um, you, <laughs> you've had some very interesting people who clearly support you. Like, um, I was looking at uh, an interview that you did with Laura Kunzberg. Um, that must have been fun because she's one feisty woman. Love her. Calls people yeah, to account. She very proudly said, she very proudly said that she was proud to be a queenager. So I'm really glad. Um, I mean, I, that's an, uh, a, a term that I came up with. I've spent so many years writing headlines and things, and it just seemed to me that it was really important that we had a kind of bit of a rebrand of women at this point. Um, what we also see very strongly at noon is that although the women want doctors to know what they're talking about and they don't want it to be a taboo, they do not want to be seen through a menopausal lens. Um, I talk a lot about queen ages not walking hot flushes and I think that there's a bit of a danger at the moment that the menopause conversation has become the only conversation about women of around 50 and of course for the 25% who have a terrible time during menopause and I understand that that becomes all very you know very kind of dominating but I also think it's important that we don't terrify all the women coming up behind us. We're also realistic about the fact that actually for 75% of women three quarters you know it's not the most comfortable you get the odd hot flush but it's not a disaster and Actually, you come through menopause quite quickly after the perimenopause and then you're freer and biologically kind of less kind of burdened than you've ever been in your life. So the idea that all women of 50 plus are now seen through a kind of hot, sweaty menopause lens makes me really cross because I think that actually it plays into gendered ageism and it puts us back into a hysterical kind of biological box when actually we're escaping that. And these could be or should be women's really fantastic years in terms of their creativity and their possibilities and their purpose um and yet too often now i think we're seen as kind of past it and you know sweaty and menopausal and i really don't like that narrative no and you don't want to terrify the younger women come up as you said like our daughters you know that they, they like the fact that we're we're being positive about being middle-aged and are doing something and i think that's what's so inspirational what you're doing is is telling them that it's not all over at 55 or I'm nearly 60, you know, it, it's a whole new life out there. I think we also need to avoid terrifying employers too because mm. we have so much to offer. If we make it seem like, oh, you've got to have a menopausal woman in your workplace, and I do agree with making these changes, these alterations to make it easier for us to go back into work or start our own jobs, start our own companies and so on. But we don't want to terrify them either. I think there's like a a level we need to find. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I totally agree. Because I think that what's happened is that a lot of big corporate companies, and there was a very good article actually in The Atlantic last week by Helen Lewis, talking about how a menopause has become a kind of multi-trillion dollar industry. And I think that what's happening is that big business always likes to put women back into a kind of hysterical biological box and sell them things. And the last thing I want is hot pink menopause kind of uh, shampoo or or skin cream or anything like that, or clothing ranges or kind of Le Creuset, all of which are kind of being pushed at us. We absolutely need health equity. We need doctors to know what they're doing. There are still some huge intersectional 
issues around menopause, the poorest women in the UK get uh, half as likely to get access to HRT than the richest when it comes to women of colour. It's a complete disaster zone. So uh, there are definite massive kind of health problems. If we look at the invisible women, um, Caroline Criado Perez kind of stuff, there's definitely issues there. But I think the problem is that this has become the only lens through which older women are seen. And I don't think it's an accident that just as a whole generation of women should be becoming CEOs, kind of um, being taken to the kind of management table. Instead, we're being put in a kind of sweaty menopause box because that, of course, leaves all the big jobs to the men. And I really think that there's there's an issue there and it's something that we're not talking about. And as often happens with women, things which are supposed to help us end up kind of killing us with kindness or putting us in a kind of victim box. So why do you think that's happening then? So you're quite right. There's women who've come through the ranks. They've got great knowledge. They could be CEOs. They may resign because they can't cope for one reason or another or have decided those life choices are not for them. Do you think it's... Do you, <laughs> Do you think it's being driven by men then who are trying to keep hold of their part in in leadership or is it a whole mixture of things? I think it's more subtle than that. I think that the whole way that uh, hierarchies within kind of corporates and within work and within leadership are set up are set up on a male model. Um, I saw that very clearly within newspapers, which is a very kind of macho environment. Um, and I also you also see it all over the city and all over politics. And if you look at like um, Helen McNamara at the Select Committee last week and the, 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 her description of what the centre of power in Downing Street was like during COVID and the lack of female voices and the lack of women's point of view in policy making. Let's not forget women of 51 percent of the population were also doing all the caring and the educating during that time. And yet we were not being not being listened to or heard at all. I don't think that the corridors of power have yet opened themselves up to women in the way that the lower ranks of work have. And that's very clear in the in all the statistics. I'm also on the Global Steering Committee of the 30% Club, which is the biggest campaign for gender equality in the world. And what we see is actual levels of women with their hands on levers, kind of with executive function, being stuck at about 12, 14%. I mean, as a columnist and a journalist, I've been writing about this for about the last 20 years and it's not moving that that dial it will take 150 years to get to parity at the top so the point is we're still within a very male paradigm at the top of leadership in the professions and business and politics even though women have been entering a lot of those professions in the same numbers as men for the last 30 years so there's something about what we still think a leader looks like um, which is not very kind of welcoming to women. And I also think that this kind of menopause stuff is a way of ruling women out or making us look weak and kind of non or not worthy just at the point where we should be breaching the citadel. So I think it's really complicated. A great old mentor of mine, um, a brilliant economist called Sylvia Ann Hewlett, talks about the men circling the wagons at the top. Um, and it's also very clear when you do a lot of work with corporates, which I do, where um, you go, OK, well, you need you need some more women on your board. And you kind of look around, you go, well, you know, who's going? Imagine having a handbag that can be restyled endlessly, creating completely different looks from just one bag. A distinct expression of your personal taste and individuality. A bag you can restyle from day to evening, creating the look you want with their innovative popper system. That's what you get with the luxurious Sarah Harron handbags, beloved by many of our guests like Anthea Turner and Jenny Faulkner, and now us. 
Liz and I love the Dahlia two-in-one tote. And, being neighbours, we can swap accessories with each other. Add a tassel in a different style, change from a leather strap to a link chain, transform your bag with a beautiful bow, or pop on a decorative strip in an array of the most gorgeous colours and prints. You can even change from tote to crossbody by popping off the removable clutch and adding a longer strap. You can get 20% off your first Sarah Harron bag, plus three free restyle accessories to change the look of your bag by going to their website, www.sarahharron.com now. That's www.sarahharron.com. So, so how can we change this, though? I mean, obviously, you're, you're, you're doing your best, but, you know, that's, that sounds wrong, but, you know... It's not changing quick enough, is it? It's definitely not changing quick enough. And the argument has been, because um, I've kind of been around this block quite a few times, the argument has been that um, time will do it, you know, that once you've got women entering the workforce in the same numbers, that as time goes on, you know, it will even up. But that's not happening. And actually, there are less women coming through in the pipeline now than there were like five, ten years ago, because we're part of what my friend, a very senior friend, is a very top lawyer, and she says, she said to me, Eleanor, you and I are the hand on the ass generation. You know, we were kind of used to kind of putting up with all sorts of treatment that we shouldn't have had. And we were quite tough about it. But actually, the, the generation coming through behind us are not prepared to put up with that. And they're walking, they're walking out much earlier than, than many of us did. And what, what a lot of companies are seeing, and in fact, um, Hanneke Schmitz, who's the global chair of the 30% Club, was saying last week to the UN, is that we're seeing a, a, a queenager brain drain. So we're getting women back into work after they have kids. There's a huge amount of focus on maternity. And then they're hitting kind of 45, 50, and they're leaving in droves. And that's partly, I think, because when you get to this point, you've got options. You know, if you stuck it out in a big job till you're like nearly 50, you, you've got enough kind of probably financial independence to be able to go and do something else if you want to. And they just get sick of playing the kind of corporate game and having to be like handmaidens and be nice to people and kind of, um, you know, suck up and do all that kind of internal politics, which actually just get to a point you're just like, I cannot be bothered. I know I'm good at my job. I've been doing this for 25 years. You know, I've won lots of prizes. I'm, you know, I, I know that I can do this. And then when some kind of younger male boss is like, oh, well, I don't think that's a good idea or let's do this. And you're like, well, no. There was a reshuffle, you know, there was a reorganisation 10 years ago and they tried that and it didn't work. I think you just get to a point where you're a bit more bullshit. You're like, actually, I just don't, I can't be bothered to play this game. And so the women walk, you know, vote with their feet or they get, um, or they get whacked. I mean, certainly in the media and the advertising and marketing, there's vanishingly few women over 50. Um, only 6% of advertising marketing people are over 50 and only 2% of them are women. Um, so there's a real kind of problem in a lot of those industries, which also kind of, you know, plays against us. Uh, and I was really shocked. I thought when I looked at the demographics around Queen Ages and how much money we control, it would be a no brainer to say to brands, you need to be representing us because our research showed that um, with our you know, Queen Ages would be 70 percent more likely to buy from a brand that represented them and that they're sitting on huge amounts of disposable wealth, much more than any other demographic. But Companies want the Queen Age of Pound, but they don't want to represent us because the people who are often making the decisions about the marketing and the advertising are are younger. There's a lot of tokenism, isn't there, in the representation of women in, I don't know, shampoo adverts or using a body wash or something. And I, I sometimes I just feel like they're ticking the box, they're ticking the Benetton mm -hmm. box of 
diversity <laughs> and body shape and age and it just doesn't feel real the bit that's missing always is age so you know they'll do people with tattoos fat people thin people you know brown people white people like i mean any any kind of possible bit of diversity uh, disabled people but but not not older people mm, that's a good point yeah I mean, I I've never thought of that. There's a couple of really good mo- movements now, isn't there? Uh, look my age, ageism is never in style. It's good to see women coming together and really talking about mm. it because talking about it is the best kind of start for anything, really, isn't it? To get to get it into conversations within the household and to to normalise it. I keep going back to it. So how do you get the change? How do you do it? I think this whole concept of gendered ageism hasn't really been thought about at all. I mean, I, talk, I go into quite a lot of companies and I talk about this quite a lot on a kind of national platform and people go, gendered ageism, kind of what's that? And I explain it's where ageism meets sexism. And I still think that there's a massive double standard between the way that older women are perceived and older men are perceived. So men are seen to age like silver foxes. Oh, yes, um, George Clooney. You know, they they mm-hmm. like all like fine wine. Yeah, all like fine wine getting better, you know, but getting better with the years. Whereas women are seen to age like peaches, you know, one wrinkle and we're in the bin. And then you look at the kinds of women that you see um, reflected back at you in the mainstream. And then now a few kind of older women who you're allowed to see if you think of kind of like Martha Stewart at 80 on the front of Sports Illustrated in a bikini I mean not wonderfully representative or all the old supermodels on the cover of Vogue although they dress them up to so they all look really kind of frumpy or you're allowed Helen Mirren because she always looks fabulous even though she's older so so the kind of level of pulchritude um, required to, as an older woman to appear in the public eye is kind of off the scale. I mean, I used to see this when I, I did a lot of TV. And if you're a woman, you go on telly. They take forever to kind of, you know, do your makeup and do your hair so that you look kind of appropriate to go on Good Morning Britain or Lorraine or something. You have some hideous man who's way older. He comes in, they give him a dusting of powder and send him straight on. So there's a like, there's just a massive kind of double standard in the way that we see things. And I think that people aren't even aware of that until you start pointing it out to them. So I'm a great believer that by talking about things, by changing the story, by challenging it and pointing up the double standard, which I've been doing a lot. I just wrote an article about um, how Madonna was being ca- castigated and told she needed to grow up for... Kind Kind of prancing around in her, you know, suspenders on stage. Nobody ever tells Mick Jagger and the Rolling Stones they need to they need to grow up, and they're they're like twenty five years older than Madonna. So I just think that we need to kind of keep pointing up these these stereotypes and this double standard, and keep going on about it till people begin to feel that it's as unacceptable to make a gendered ageist remark, even something like saying, "Oh, you look good for your age." I mean, that's actually incredibly rude. Yeah, I hate that. But we need to start challenging that. Um, I'm on the board of something called the um, Centre for Ageing Better, and they're doing a big campaign around, which is around challenging people's internal ageism um, and the way, and which is a crazy thing if you think about it. It's it's a kind of form of prejudice against your future self. Um, and I also think that by extending the runway for older women and talking about this, we also really help all the women coming up behind us because all the 30, 40-something women I talk to are absolutely kind of, you know, killing themselves. They're trying to kind of have kids and hold down jobs. There's just so much which is trying to be crammed into those years. And if we can extend this runway saying, actually, we can go on being productive and 
have good jobs and go on being powerful till we're kind of 70, then that really extends the time that there is for all this stuff. And I think really takes the pressure off younger women. In fact, I had a really lovely comment on my newsletter. I do a um, newsletter called The Queen Ager every week on Substack. And I had a lovely comment yesterday from a younger woman saying, I can't tell you how much I love your newsletters because they make me look for make me look forward to the idea of being a queen ager that life gets better and it also really helps me understand my mom and what she's been through so I also think that there's a real opportunity for the generations to understand each other better through these conversations we get that a lot on the podcast don't we that Mm. you know it's not just midlife women who listen to us there's a lot of younger women as well and like oh now I know what's coming but I think often in women's history we fought the battles for the next generation we're fighting them now and we make certain amount of progress but we're always fighting for the next one and the next one after that until we really can make some traction aren't we it's exhausting, but it's good work. It's it's important work that we're all doing. Well, I think that this is this is part of this is part of that kind of you know feminist narrative which hasn't really been talked about till now, um, and I think that that's partly because we're a very different kind of generation hitting midlife. It's why you're getting all the conversation around menopause that women are get women of my generation are getting there and going what the hell? You know, none of this has been sorted out yet. Doctors don't know what they're talking about. Um, uh, But also a sense of what we're we're supposed to just disappear and like enter, you know, exit stage left because we hit 50. Uh, I don't think so. Because there's a whole load of us who are used to having our voices heard, who've commanded good jobs, who've had a different kind of equality to to that which our mothers had or the women who came before us. And so I think we're just going, "Uh, don't think so. Don't think that works. Um, And so I I do think that there is a big shift going on and you see it in the statistics so in the 2019 census women over 40 started earning more money than women under 40 for the first time ever in 2019 so this is a massive kind of social shift going on um over half of the women who um what i call queen ages are the main breadwinners in their family um we're we're a different kind of independent minded woman with agency and i think that that is also what's driving this new conversation around age you what was the statistic that you found about uh the women making decisions in uh well, it was 90 93% of women British from age 40 to 60 make um, all of the financial decisions in the family is that right in the household i think that's what i'd heard that's a very high yeah it's one of my figures it's 93 percent of women 45 to 65 are behind uh, they're, they're behind 93 percent of all the main household consumer spending decisions and that's because if you think about it, it makes sense i mean in my family i make decisions for me and for my husband but also for my parents increasingly and for my um, team and for my children who are kind of in their 20s. I'm paying for their bills at university. I'm helping out, you know, I'm helping out my my folks. I'm thinking, you know, my mum was ringing me this morning going, oh, she wants to go away next year. Where should she go? So I'm beginning to, um, I'm, I'm, I'm making decisions kind of both up and down the generations where that really important kind of, you know, middle layer. The sandwich yeah, generation as we're known, right? Yeah, I, I think that's, that, I mean, that's more about caring, isn't it? That's more about kind of we're looking after the grandparents and the, and, the, um, and the kids. And I also think what's interesting is you can be 50 now and have kids who are at university or like, will be a grandmother 
Or you can have kids who are still at primary school. I've got a friend who lives around the corner who's older than me, and she's got a four-year-old because a lot of women have had their children late or they're using kind of fertility treatment to have children kind of ex beyond the kind of old biological limits. Uh, Victoria Cora Mitchell last week said that she'd had another baby at kind of 51. So, so we're beginning to see kind of more of that as well. So you can't really predict when you meet somebody who's kind of 50, what stage that what stage they're going to be at. And our life expectation is so different, isn't it? You know, at one at one stage, you know, we would be lucky and, and happy to reach 80. But our generation is now quite likely going to be 90 to 100. So as we are in our noon period, our 50s, our midpoint, that's such a lot of years to fill. And I don't think any of us want to be undervalued or lacking in creativity or purpose for half our life to come we have so much more to give doing something different as well i think you know we're on we're lucky to be here for 80 years or something do you really want to do the same thing for 50 years of it I, I'd, I'd like to do something different the freedom from when your children leave such freedom exactly and i think that that's really important i also think that that's something that people haven't really got their heads around so in the 100 year life which you know will be will be some of the people who hopefully are, luck, are, long, are lucky enough to live that then 50 is only halfway through and the whole way that we need to think about our lives needs to change because we're going to be here for a much longer much longer time than you know all the other models predicted so if you think that the kind of current kind of way that people think about their lives is you kind of get educated and, you know, established and you go and work maybe for the same place for like, you know, 30, 40 years and then you retire and you kind of play golf and you die. I mean, that's just so not true. And yet no one is really, and companies aren't thinking about what you do with older workers. Um, we aren't thinking about the fact that it's very unlikely we're going to go on doing the same thing for all that time. You know, actually it's going to be very normal to have a midlife pivot or to kind of rethink what you're going to do, you know, as your kids kind of get bigger and and we all need to kind of future-proof ourselves so that we have some skills, which means we can go on earning a living kind of as we get older. But these conversations are only beginning to happen. You know, in a way, we're the great beneficiaries of the scientific revolution has meant that, that has, means that we all live longer every year. I think we're adding 18 weeks to our lives globally. Um, but that's all very well. But if we're not kind of... If we're not factoring that into our decision making about our lives or our thinking or our kind of our future proofing of ourselves, thinking about the muscles we need to to make transitions, which, again, are not very thought about in our society, um, then we don't we're not really prepared when those shifts come. And that's one of the big things that I'm trying to do at noon is to say to people, actually, what you need to change from one thing to another is <coughs> some of the kind of nitty gritty of the paths of people who have gone before. I talk a lot about the kind of the white pebbles in the wood that kind of helped Hansel and Gretel away from the Wicked Witch. You know, what what are the kind of, what, what are the stepping stones which help you get from one thing to another thing? So I've run a lot of stories on Noon which are around about that transformation, how you, how you go from being one thing and become something else. Um, and also we do a lot of kind of supportive kind of retreats and trips and things like that and on Noon Circles um, every month where we really encourage women to support each other through those kind of transitions. It, it really is a great platform. I mean, would you agree, Michelle? It really, I, I think it's, it's, it's incredible. so many things yeah. as well, from joy to yeah. transformation yeah. and careers. Um, so I say, it's not been around for that long either, has it? It's only a few years. Yeah, we set up, um, I launched it in uh, March 2020. 
which was exactly oh, good a year after I left the Sunday. Yeah, <laughs> right in the middle of the right in the middle of the pandemic. So I'd actually originally just wanted to kind of run retreats and do more kind of in life stuff, and then because we were all locked down, it became more of a kind of online platform. And I realised that I had to really lean into my journalism background in order to kind of get the community set up but we're now very much a mixture of an in real life and a virtual uh community and um it's all fueled by the noon website which is noon.org.uk and also um i I write a newsletter every week to to my ladies called the queen ager uh which is a kind of mixture of my own life and uh, some of the things that we see kind of in the world and in the community and i've just finished writing a book which will come out next year and what's it called it's called, um, well, at the moment, the working title is So Much More to Come, uh, which is our kind of strap line at noon. Um, and it's all about the kind of pinch points in midlife and how we get through them. And it's a mixture of my story, but also 50 other women who have reinvented at this point and how they did that and what that looked like for them. So have you any top tips of how people, you know, women can get through midlife? <laughs> well, what what has been most meaningful for me, I think, has been really following the kind of the the crumbs of things which bring me joy I mean it's not an accident that there's a as a, a tab on my website which is about joy so I found that I find when I speak to so many women at this point when you ask them what they really love what really makes them happy and it's an exercise that I often do in my groups of women that a lot of them have kind of forgotten they've spent so much time looking after everybody else uh being what everybody else wants them to be kind of thinking about what everybody else wants i mean i i can be guilty of that walking around the supermarket i'm so kind of tuned into what my girls might want what my husband might want i've kind of forgotten what i might actually want to eat myself and i was talking to a friend whose kids had just gone off to university and she's on her own she's like as I was walking around the supermarket and I've forgotten what it is that I actually like to eat. So, And I, I, that sounds funny, you know, we're laughing, but it's actually really true. And it's true not just about what you might want to eat, but about what your own life might look like. So one of the things I say, is I, go, I say kind of really go back and think about that woman of 20. You know, what did she really want? What did she really care about? What really got her out of bed in the morning? What were her passions? And then you suddenly see a kind of bowl go off in people's heads. So for me, I I've always loved the water. Um, I swim every day in the Hampstead Ladies Pond all the way through the winter. And there's something for me about being in the cold water or warm water and being with nature and looking at the heron and seeing the trees. It's just so beautiful today with the kind of yellow leaves and things. So that has really got me back kind of in touch with nature. So I think that that's an incredibly important force. I'm not necessarily swimming, swimming, but walking or just getting yourself back attached to realising that we're all part of an interconnected world, that we're not kind of isolated, isolated elements, that everything is connected. And I think the first thing to do that, the way you do that is through nature and then really finding other people who are on the same journey at the same time as you. Because I think what also happens and what we see at noon, and we really cr- talk about creating a new tribe at this point, is so many women kind of feeling a bit lost. You know, maybe they've had school gate friends, but they've moved on or they've had lots of work colleagues, but, you know, that they're now not doing that job anymore. So they're not kind of around. And there's that sense, I think, of really needing some new new friends and being really open to maybe thinking that some of your old dear friends maybe are quite invested in you being as you used to be and aren't necessarily going to be your biggest advocates for change and therefore thinking maybe you need some new kind of accomplices a new tribe to move into your new 
your new chapter. And that's very much what we try and do at noon. We try to create tribe through our retreats and through our events. I took 15 women walking around the mountains of Morocco earlier this year. Um, we walked 75, 75 miles in like four or five days. It was really quite intense over mountains and kind of across rivers. And I mean, and all the women were 50 plus. They were really incredible. But that was that was a real thing of kind of, A, we all came back like great friends. <laughs> and we'd all seen each other in ways that we never had before. But I think there's something about getting out of your comfort zone and doing things that you never thought you were capable of doing. Couldn't agree more. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Oh, thank you, Eleanor. You are such a force of nature. <laughs> And love what you're doing. You are the ultimate queen ager, leading us all in in this amazing platform and and awareness and fighting for just a, an equal opportunity and some joy in life. Um, it's been so interesting talking to you. You just like you make light bulbs come on. You, it's, it's like you spark synapses, yeah. and you just think, oh gosh, that's so true. I hadn't thought about it in that way. But thank you so much for sharing with us today. It's been really, really good. And where can um, where can our listeners find you? Well, thank you so much for having me on. It's really it's been lovely talking to you. Um, you can find me at um, noon noon as in the middle of the day. org. uk is the noon website, um, and we we're on all um, all kinds of social media. You can find me on LinkedIn and Eleanor Mills, um, and on Instagram we're upon noon. Uh, is our um, handle there and there's lots of if you if any of this touches a call with you there's so much information there we run a monthly book club we run monthly noon circles we have a kind of membership model but we're really open to um you know opening that up to people for whom it might be a bit expensive it's only actually six pounds a month not much more than a coffee um but we're really about trying to support women at midlife to make them feel better about this point to make people realize that there's so much more to come and being a queen ager is great and we want everyone to look forward to being a queen ager as when they come into their prime um and to really change the story that's out there so come and join us and thanks so much for having us. yay queen ages thank you I'm a queen ager. I think you are a queen ager, and I'm going to get you a tiara. <laughs> oh, I'd love one of those, actually. Oh, we used to have a tiara. I had a bunko group, and um, oh, what group? A bunko. It's a dice. I always used to call it. It's a um, drinking game with a dice problem. But it, <laughs> oh, I see. It's bunko. But whoever won the bunko got to wear the tiara. Oh. And I know that's trite compared to how important being a queen ager is and the whole pro-age movement. But, yeah, it's quite fun wearing a tiara. I might get you one. I might find it in an old dusty drawer uh, that you wear it. Oh, but that was, you know, as um, Eleanor said about finding, you know, things, her top tips, the joy. The joy, the yes. The fun. And if tiaras bring you joy, <laughs> it's, you know, it's good because she's absolutely right. It's very easy to lose our sparkle or to... Remember what is our favourite? You get a bit boring. That sounds, you know, whether it's boring, you don't mean to be, but if you're not, what's the word I'm trying to say? Because you kind of lose yourself in being there for everyone else. You forget to be you. Yeah. So you do get, well, I I think I got boring. I don't think you're boring now. Sometimes sometimes you're going to say. No, you're not boring, Liz. No, no. <laughs> no, I could be bored, but you know, I could get very excited about stuff that's really boring as well. But you know, I think that's probably what I think I got a bit boring. But you're not boring now because you have found something that you yeah really love doing. What was the other thing she said? Um, nature, nature, get out. But well, we do that. Yeah, just having a walk. We used to talk about this a long time mm. when we first when we first yeah. did the podcast. Was how important it is to walk. 
They get your vitamin, vitamin D, D, makes you feel so much better, especially in the winter. Um, take a vitamin D supplement. They're very, very cheap. Mm. And do you remember Pauline Cox um, pointed out that just doing a bit of gardening, being in nature, walking outside, that helps your gut, gut health. Yeah. You can't really go wrong, can you? You know, hug a tree. It's going to improve your life. <laughs> Kiss a frog. I think, do, do you know, I mean, harping back to the COVID days, don't you think everybody walked more because you had to because that was your that was your outlet mm. but also listening to birds which depends um, where you lived well, i was i was reading this um article um about boy george and he he really one of his spiritual things that he does is really listen to bird song mm. and actually we, we you know we're so busy running around and being a yeah, busy person down. if you did just take a moment to sit in the garden with a cup of tea and listen to some bird song. What a lovely thing that is. Mine's milk and two sugars. <laughs> <laughs> two sugars, Elizabeth. But the other one, she said, was tribe. And that's what yeah. like you could sit down, have a cup of tea with a friend, do stuff with friends or find new friends. And that was the, we've discussed this before, how, you know, your friends change as you, as your life changes. I think there's a lot of guilt about maintaining friendships that don't work for you anymore. Mm. And it's also sometimes quite hard to find new friendships because maybe you've moved because the kids have um, left home or you've downsized or, as Eleanor said, you're not meeting them at the school gates. But you've got to push yourself. You don't need loads. You don't need loads. But just to find people who are like you. Yeah, do you know, we've got lots of resources on our website, but I'm, I think we need to pull them all together on that because we've talked about this in different ways with, you know, doing stuff for volunteering, charity, whatever. But maybe I might do a list of finding your tribe, you know, and how to do it. Mm. Because I, I was thinking this what was I, a couple of days ago that if I was on my own and I moved somewhere, I was thinking, how would I how get to know? Where, how would I start? You know, yeah. would I go and join a library? Work at, oh, I'd volunteer something like in a library. I don't know. But it's really hard. Where would you start? I mean, you know me. I'm quite outgoing, but mm. I hate, hate walking to an event on my own and having to look around and think, oh, God, who's the poor sod who's going to get landed with me while I cling on for five yeah, minutes until I find my But it's even knowing which event to go to or where yeah. to go. You know, if you were stuck, you, you moved into a brand new city. Where do you wh begin? Where do you even start? Yeah. And yeah. that's what, you know, people do move. They have to. Gosh, I, I, yeah, I don't know look what I'd you, do. giving yourself a project. I have. <laughs> no, I'm going to, because I think it's some, it, just top ten. Look, I've said this before, we know top, top, can't speak. Top. <laughs> Ten <laughs> tips. I could listen to you all day doing top oh, no. ten tips. <laughs> or I don't know. Yeah, but you know, top ten tips, tips. for finding your tribe. Uh, but it, that's it. Finding your tribe. How uh, wh how would you do it? Because you know. Okay, could you think how you do it? So I'm squeaking now because I'm like you know off the top of your head. Well, I said going to, to work in a library only because I went to the library on Saturday. Oh, um, but, um, okay. Well, know. what I would do. Um, I talk to random, oh, I have made friends when I've moved countries by talking to random strangers in shopping queues. Yeah. I'll look at their basket and say, oh, what are you having? <laughs> but even then, you, they may not say, come to something with they me. Don't, yeah. no, they don't know. Chances of that are <laughs> very, very unlikely. Yeah. In fact, they're like, get away from me. Yeah, it's, but, you know, I suppose you find a, something you're interested in, if you, you know, a, a, a course, a pottery course, a wine tasting and it's all very well us saying yeah go do this find your but, tribe yeah, but how would you see yeah, yeah, go, yeah, and, yeah. go and volunteer yeah. but actually taking a step out the front door can be really really overwhelming yeah. and uh, 
Yes. You know, and if you haven't got the money, it's great if you can. I mean, fantastic. You can go on retreats and, and various things, but you haven't got the money. How do you do it? Mm. More this to space. come. Yeah. That's all from us. Chat soon. Thanks for listening to Two Women Chatting with our special guests. If you enjoyed this episode, it would mean the world to us if you left a rating and review. Even better, share with your friends. And please get in touch. We'd love to hear from you. There's a link on our Instagram bio and Facebook pages. 